Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we're talking about The Passenger. Yes. Uh, by Michelangelo Antonioni. Yes, 1975. 1975. Uh, not the Iggy Pop song. <laughs> it predates the song by two years. Um, I'd never seen an Antonioni film before. I spent most of the summer looking at his films in chronological order. Though, in fact, I didn't reach The Passenger. Right. You know, because basically, you know, your summer leave <laughs> ends uh, uh, before. Um, and, and what I had done is, I think Mubi showed Chronicle of a Love Affair. And I loved it so much that I just kind of got obsessed, really. And I had, uh, I had taught La Ventura previously. Uh, and I had seen, I suppose you know, kind of, you know, the great 60s classics, right? So, La Ventura, La Notte, um, uh, 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 Blow Up, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so, so those I'd seen, you know, you kind of, I had loved La Ventura, um, but I had never seen his 50s films, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I kind of um, uh, became obsessed, really, I think, and actually, I would argue that those are the films of his that I love most, you know, kind of the ones that people kind of write off because, you know, they're his most conventional. Uh, so, um, uh, Cronica di un amore, um, uh, the, la, la Dama Senza Camellie, The Lady Without Camellias, which is about filmmaking itself and which I just adore. In fact, I, I loved it so much. It was shown on movie uh, and I loved it so much that I decided to to start my film criticism module this year uh, by 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 showing it. I became also kind of obsessed with the star of those films, it was Lucia Bosse, who's kind of incredibly she looks like Garbo really, but she's Italian. Um, she works on Spanish cinema as well. So actually, kind of you know that screening on movie led to various strands of obsession, really. <laughs> you know, so I kind of, I, I, I looked at Antonioni films, I looked at the films of Lucia Bosse. Lucia Bosse appeared in uh, Juan Antonio Bardem's uh, um, film. Uh, and so I look, I went through uh, Antonio Bardem's films, Juan Antonio Bardem's films, uh, Death of a Cyclist is the one that she appears in. So, um, yeah, it was kind of like a, um, a fantastic summer that way. And then I went back over, you know, so I'd spend like about a week on each film and uh, I was just gobsmacked by Il Grido, The Shout, you know, um, which is about um, this man who um, goes on the road and, um, you know, he has all these adventures and he returns home uh, and throws himself off a, off a tower. Really? <laughs> yeah. But it's it sounds, it's very beautiful and kind of very powerful. It's, it's kind of melodramatic as well. But each shot is really measured. You know, like mm. Antonioni's films are so beautiful because his use of space is so extraordinary. Like every shot counts and every shot is meaningful. And often they're kind of in, in, in long takes where you're kind of conscious of the relations of things and people, you know, within that space and how they change over the time of the shot. It kind of, it was, it was, it was really an extraordinary experience to, 
to watch them. And some of them I watched obsessively. Actually. So what would you say, kind of, what do you think ties his films together? Or what are the... Well, for me, I mean, he is really the, the filmmaker of existential, of post-war existential dilemmas. Okay. You know, kind of, so... Well, The Passenger fits quite nicely into that. It does, very much indeed. It's kind of, it's part of that whole thematic, you know, kind of, you know, uh, his films are all, I would say, like, kind of almost like Heidegger. They're all about being in nothingness, <laughs> you know, and kind of the, the, the short kind of slide between one and the other, right? right. Kind of, you know. Um, so, for example, in The Lady Without Camellias, it's about this woman who wants to be a film star. She marries this producer, you know, who wants her to be a sex bomb. You know, um, um, but then he marries her and wants her to be like a great actress and she's not a great actress. And at the end, kind of, you know, everything that her husband didn't want to be, you know, is what she's reduced to being. And as soon as she wants to learn how to be a great actress and so on, all the choices are taken away from her. Right. Right. So the film ends on this close up of despair. Right. El Grido ends up on suicide, you know, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's kind of... Um, yeah, uh, it's the really beautiful, the really formally beautiful. Mm. Um, so I was very drawn to them. It's very interesting because actually The Passenger is a film that I feel I want to see again because it's one of those films that grows in your mind, mm. even though the experience of watching it, I was underwhelmed, right? Yeah, you were. I, I, I really enjoyed it. But this is, we saw this at the BFI South Bank. Uh, on the on the Saturday after we um, left uh, the clock a little early, mm. we we decided already to spend our our afternoon watching this and watching a Swedish film called Hexen, which mm. we'll talk about on a different podcast. Um, and you know, I thought it was a great use of an afternoon, to be honest. Mm. I mean, I re- really enjoyed both of them. I really enjoyed the Passenger. Um, didn't know what to expect of it, uh, not just because I hadn't seen Antonio, but because I didn't know anything about it. It was just right. it, it was on, so let's go and see it. Um, so. The, the film is uh, Jack Nicholson plays David Locke, who is, uh, he's supposed to be born in England, but brought up and educated in America, which is why he sounds like Jack Nicholson. Mm. <laughs> um, but So he's English-American, uh, he's a journalist, and he's in North Africa, mm. following some kind of rebels in, yeah, a, war, in, a... in a sort of civil war you don't know all, all that much mm. about, but you get kind of glimpses of what he's, what the interviews that he's been doing and that sort of thing. Um, but that's in the background, really, that's not the point of the film. Um and uh, there's uh, an English guy staying at his hotel uh, who actually he's kind of struck up a bit of a friendship with. He returns to his hotel uh, at the start of the film to find out that this guy's died of a heart attack. No one else knows it. No one's been into his room. So he jumps at the opportunity to take his identity, assume his identity, switch their passports, switch the photos in the passports, and um, leave his life. Yes. Leave his wife, pretend he's dead, you know, and um, and just go off, go off yes. with the guy's belongings, the guy's um, sort of notebook and things, an appointments book. The guy's called Robertson. Mm-hmm. Uh, he kind of subsequently discovers that Robertson is actually a gun runner for uh, these these rebels that he was uh, sort of doing a report on. So he's kind of slightly he he slightly finds himself uh, dumped into a situation he wasn't prepared for. But again, like the, that is not quite the point of the film, you know. So in another film, this would be you can imagine like uh, you can imagine this being 
like a man on the run type of, oh my it's god, got, what am I in? It's it got a, a great suspense plot that it doesn't treat suspensefully at all. Exactly. Uh, it's, and it's, it's about the guy's existential crisis. It's about his life and where he wants to go with it. Mm. And the fact that he's now kind of a target for various powerful people, dangerous people, is um, it's kind of muted. Mm. I think it's interesting. Um, spoilers, I guess, will come up, but it is a film from 1975. Yes. Um, he, he meets a girl in Barcelona. Who's played by Maria Schneider. Played by Maria Schneider. Who you don't get her name actually? She's an architecture student, but she's just kind of she's a little bit of a free spirit, as I said uh, on Facebook. She's kind of the she seems to be like the earliest um, manic pixie dream girl that I've seen. The kind of the girl who's a free spirit who uh, kind of gives the guy something to changes his life or gives something to think about or whatever. Yes. She has an element of that. Um, they kind of strike up a bit of a relationship. She joins him as his passenger on his uh, various meandering mm. travels across Europe ultimately uh, at a hotel in Spain he is found and assassinated um, but you don't quite see that it's an interesting shot right at the end of the film uh, you've also got the his wife and the production crew kind of trying to track him down as well yes um, so that's the that's this kind of setup um I can see what you mean when you talk about Antonioni being uh, kind of careful and precise and also his use of long takes. Mm. What you said about his long takes giving you a sense of the orchestration of space. Um, there is one in particular. I'm not going to talk about the one at the end. No. As much as, well, not yet at least. As okay. much as it's, I think it's fantastic. It's fantastic. Um, but there's one uh, in the first third of the film where Nicholson has found Robertson's body and he's kind of deciding to take over his identity. And he sat at a desk with the passports in front of him. And he's listening to an old... He's listening to a tape of a, like a, an interview that he's done mm. with, Nichols, uh, with, with, with Robertson. And the camera tracks away from Nicholson at the desk out to uh, the open window in the balcony where Robertson is standing... So the present time turns into the past in one shot, mm. and then Nicholson, in his past form, joins Robertson and they chat. And then the camera moves back, and Nicholson again is at the desk. So obviously, what's happened is he's run around, put some clothes on, <laughs> and then yes. come back. That's but amazing. I didn't notice that. It's a flashback in one take. Right. It's fantastic, and and you know, so not only are you kind of aware of the physical space of the room and how you move from the desk to the thing, but it changes time. Yes. In one take, yes. which I think is amazing, it's beautiful and really subtle, and I, and it, it it has a kind of ethos of if we don't need to cut, then let's not. Yes. If we can do this with a camera move, let's do it. Let's keep it neat and composed. And uh, there's another element. There's um, like something else happens again. It's in the same sort of. Uh, it's it's the same act of the film where he's uh, kind of investigating the death. Um, you see, uh, you see a shot that the, the shot begins on the ceiling fan whirring round. Um, it's incredibly hot and every <laughs> you're in North Africa, right? Um, and so the shot begins on the ceiling fan and then it pans down to see Nicholson. And you kind of think that like that's what the shot will be. You'll just end up on Nicholson. But he does some stuff and then the camera moves back up to the fan. Actually, no, I, I, I'm terribly sorry. It, it's the other way around. It starts off when Nicholson moves up to the fan and you think, oh, the shot's going to end. It'll mm. cut to something else. But then it moves back to Nicholson. I just think, like, 
there's, there's something interesting about how the film... It, the, it's like the attention of the camera at that point is distracted. It's like the camera is too hot mm. and needs to cool down. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It, the, the camera kind of lives in the world. There's such an awful long time in the film where very little happens. And what I mean by that is is not that there's kind of no plot, but just it takes a very long time. It, it allows you a lot of time to investigate the room along with Nicholson. Mm. It gives you a very long time to kind of dig his jeep out of the sand. That sort of thing. He ends up giving up on that. But like, the film gives you such a long time to sink into its world. Yes. With these and little sink details. sink into its rhythms. Yes. You know, because actually it's very leisurely. Go on. You know, so... Um, yeah, I, uh, but again, you know, I kind of... I can of, sense you sort of found that boring. I found it actually quite engrossing. I didn't find it boring. I didn't find it boring. Okay. So, um, I did... I, I mean, I was looking at my watch, actually. So, you know, I kind of... I was, I was thinking, you know, do you need all of this to convey that? Is it being self-indulgent and so on? And again, I feel kind of a bit of, um, I don't know, um, a disjunctive response. Because my immediate response to the film as I was watching it was, it's self-indulgent and it's dull, Mm. right? And then kind of subsequently, and I haven't made a project of thinking about it actually, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just, it just kind of crops up in your mind and you begin to be interested in things that you saw. Yeah. So, you know, I think I've had a delayed response um, to the film. Yeah. I mean, you know, in a weird way, well, maybe not a weird way, but, you know, when watching it, what interested me most was the scenes in Spain. And that's just for obvious, you know, <laughs> uh, biographical reasons, right? Yeah. I was kind of, I was very fascinated by all of the scenes in Barcelona. And, you know, my thoughts were just autobiographical. I mean, that was, I think, you know, I was in Spain at that age, you know, and I was 13 and the streets were like that and people were quite poor, right? And yeah, kind of, you know, some of the dialogue that you overhear, it has attitudes like there's, you know, in the last shot that you will talk about later, there's a scene where, you know, an old man calls a child a cabron, like a bastard, you little bastard, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah, so kind of, you know, you're watching kind of all of these scenes and this way of life and... You know, and the beauty of um, all the Gaudi stuff, right? Which um, the yeah, Jack he kind of meets character. up with Maria Schneider on the roof of a Gaudi yeah. building, and he's completely unaware of the significance of it or the history of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he probably doesn't even know who Gaudi was, right? But in the meantime, they're on the roof of this amazing, you know, building, right, in Paseo de la Gracia, and it's just extraordinarily beautiful to see. And actually, and Antonioni does know what the character doesn't you know so as they're going up the stairs he is he is leisurely letting all of you know the doorways you know which are all kind of curved and oddly shaped Mm. and so on he's letting all of that kind of sink into you really and you know what i was thinking was oh you'd never be able to see that building like (laughs) they did because now there would be like a million people in queue you know to get into the house and you know, so kind of my whole thinking about it was actually almost like extra filmic, really. You know, um, so but I loved all of those scenes. Um, but I was thinking more about things like the setting and the decor and the way of life in Spain in a particular historical period mm. than about 
you know, the existential dilemma of the protagonist. Yeah. 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 I can certainly see that. That's, that's kind of fair enough. I think, I think, I think it might be dependent on mood as well. I'm not saying you're like, you were in the wrong mood for it or anything. That's, you know, but I'm saying like, I can imagine that if I had been in a different mood, I might have, um, found it much less interesting, much more indulgent. I was, I was very delighted that you liked it because actually I had feared that it was almost exactly the kind of film that I could imagine you absolutely hating. <laughs> really? Well, yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, 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 <laughs> it's a philosophical existential film, you know, about being, about kind of, you know, letting go of identities, about becoming some, about literally shedding your skin and becoming someone else. Mm. And it's kind of filmed at a very leisurely pace. Very leisurely pace. You know, so I would have thought that's exactly the kind of film you'd almost have a knee-jerk, I hate reaction I suppose to. it's possible. <laughs> I, mean, I can, oh, can sympathise with, with why you think that. I think what interested me about it um, wasn't so much the, the kind of, the, the um, meditation on, on identity and and kind of who you want to be or who you'd like to escape from being and stuff. But it was, um, it was the filmmaking. It was the orchestration of the action and, oh. and the movement within the frame and also Jack Nicholson's performance. I think he's, he's incredible to look at one thing. I don't think, I think this is the earliest Nicholson performance that I've seen. Yes. Other than that little bit he did in, um, was it Little Shop of Horrors or whatever? The, yeah. Where he's like, Actually, he let me stuff. mention two things about Nicholson, which are completely superficial, but which I think must be said. <laughs> First, he looks extraordinarily beautiful in this, and he's filmed mm. as a movie star. Mm-hmm. You know, like kind of you you see the fleshiness of his lips, and you, you see him with the shades, and he's very thin, very thin. You know, and he's got a nude scene where he's got a great butt. You know, <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's kind of you know the clothing and so on showcase it right. So I think kind of you know kudos for Antonioni to make advantage of that. And, and and kudos to Nicholson because, you know, the idea of, you know, a major, major, major film star. I mean, in 1975, there couldn't have been bigger film stars than Nicholson in American cinema, mm. right? You know, for, so for an American film star, at the height of his career... So what year was Chinatown? Chinatown was 73, 74. Oh, so I've seen Chinatown. But, yeah. um, well, I mean, he's had a huge run from... Uh, Easy Rider, Five Easy Pieces, uh, The Last Detail, uh, Chinatown. Like it was yeah. hit after hit after hit, right? Uh, so for him to go make a film in Europe with Antonioni, that's the kind of thing only uh, television stars did, or people on, you know, like um, I forget the name of the star of El Grido. But, you know, people on the downslide of their careers would go make films in Europe in those days, right? Mm. But, you know, somebody at the height of his career wouldn't go, except it's Antonioni, yeah. you know? So obviously, kind of, you know, Nicholson was drawn to make a film with, you know, one of the geniuses of, of filmmaking, you know, and very lucky we are, you know, that he did, really, because I think the film... Um, is enriched by having Nicholson. He's fantastic in it. I think he's he's completely in control of every scene, and he's for one thing he's he's quite witty. I mean, he makes jokes out of certain things, like his responses to when he meets up with the the gun guys in that church, and they give him an envelope full of money. You know, he says Jesus Christ, and then says, "Oh, sorry." <laughs> you know, and and he and he sells it really nicely, and he has this kind of downplayed sort of knowing wit about himself, but um, but. I don't know. I just, he really captured me the way he, 
his his frustration with with the way things are going with his life and um the kind of opportunism you know i mean it's quite a serious thing to fake your death and steal a man's identity yes. but you kind of you and understand him completely and, to, and believe him and to go into the unknown right because so it's not just that nicholson uh what's his character's name lock yeah it's not just that lock leaves his identity is that he's also going into the unknown, mm. right? So it's like this extraordinary dissatisfaction with who he is, yeah, with you yeah. Know, his being, right? So, you know, and then it's not quite a becoming because it's not just, you know, he's not just growing into something else. He's growing into someone else or he's choosing the identity of someone else whom he doesn't know, mm. right? And actually that becomes part of the the. Yeah. the, the dilemma of the film that he doesn't know what he's getting into so he's going into the unknown but as someone other than himself but also the dissatisfaction that leads him to do that you can imagine how a lesser director and a lesser actor would have done that with a load of maudlin looks being depressed all over the place and that's not who Nicholson's character is yes Locke isn't like that you do understand what he's fed up with I think you understand yeah. that he is fed up and you mm. feel it but it's not it's not sort of um, it's not stale or stagnant the way that it's conveyed. I can't think how to kind of better describe it. It's, it, it again, it's something that I think you sink into. Mm. You feel the character, and you kind of get him. Mm. I think you know, and and in a similar way, I think you. Although she's given less of a character, I think you get Maria Schneider's character. Oh, very much so. You yes. know, in a similar way, like you kind of get why she would go with this guy who yeah. she's just met to to just go on a trip yeah. there's, there's a sense of adventure in it for her she's a little bit livelier than he is yes. but um, yeah. and she knows what she's getting into she knows the risk yeah you know and she often kind of confronts the police or plays or cheats the police or yeah and or she speaks the language and he doesn't yes. and she takes care of things for him she, she knows how to play the game yes yeah um, so I kind of I loved all that I just want to say before moving on that the person who I was thinking of in El Grido is Steve Cochran. Right. Yeah, do you recognize Steve? I don't know the name. Exactly. That's <laughs> my point. Right. So, you know, he'd been like, you know, a, a semi-star of American cinema, mainly in supporting roles. So, you know, he would go to Europe and do El Grido. Mm. Right. But, you know, to have a, a major American film star kind of do a European film was very unusual. I mean... You know, don't get me wrong. In the seventies, a few more people did it. So I think uh, Goldie Hawn went and made a film in Italy. I think Dustin Hoffman also went and made a film in Italy with lesser directors. Um, Candice Bergen did a film with Lena Wertmuller. So th there was an element. There was a fashion for um, going and working with auteurs. You know, but it was very unusual uh, when you know Jack mm. Nicholson did it and also you know given Jack Nicholson's stardom so it's kind of like an interesting intersection the other thing I'd also like to mention is that amongst the writing credits is Peter Woolen right yes. you know who's kind of you know one of the one of the founding kind of film theorists uh, you know he wrote uh, Signs and Meaning in the Cinema you know kind of a film about semiotics in, in film so you know that you have like a theorist writing the screenplay Antonioni directing, Jack Nicholson and Maria Schneider starring, Maria Schneider fresh off uh, Last Tango in Paris, you know. So it's kind of like a very, very fascinating kind of mixture. Oh, yeah, was Last Tango in Paris before this? Yeah, 1972. 
Hush my mouth. Yeah, mm. the, I think I like I like how well matched they are, and you also get a sense of um, they the characters. I think connect well. You, you can sense that they fit. Not only, not only do you get that shot where they're lying in bed together, mm. and you see the shape of their bodies and casting the light, which is beautiful, and you get a real feeling of just that's it feels right, you know. Mm. Um, but there's that wonderful bit where um, they're sat outside a cafe, and he's explaining because like, his his behaviour has been kind of erratic at this point, and he's explaining this is what's happened. Um, I've this guy died, and I've taken his identity and faked my death, and she's kind of not phased by it. Yes. which is fantastic so at one point I've got the script up here he says um, uh, he says now I think I'm going to be a waiter in Gibraltar he says in this kind of deadpan ironic way yes. and she's just not phased she says too obvious uh-huh. yes I you remember know, wonderful and it's a great bit like, like so he kind of has his wit and she matches it yes. you know she just doesn't she's not you know, she's, uh, it's, it's wonderful the way they kind of they start to play off each other because it's not it's not like it's not like um, the film doesn't play it as like a, a meeting of perfect you know kind of like he still says like you know you shouldn't be here. This is too dangerous. And at that point towards the end where she's she's booked the room, mm. him thinking that he's kind of managed to discard her, but she's turned up nonetheless. So they they kind of they clash, but um, there is a feeling of like she, she. This is why I think I kind of thought of like a max, manic pixie dream girl thing of like she kind of activates him in a way, you know, or she. Th- there's a, there's a sense of of disconnection. With his character, I think mm. you know the fact that he's basically an American, married to quite a posh English woman, living in England. Like, she, you know, of her side, you see all of his like TV crew and whatever production staff, and they're all uh, English guys. You know, so he's not the same as them. Mm. Despite you know the film tells you English American, but I mean that in itself is kind of that's a, a disconnected kind of place to be he lives between cultures in a way you don't feel like he's attached to one or the other mm. he lives between them and then at the same time you don't see him in England or America at any point you see he's just in North Africa and Europe throughout the whole film well, so you he's displaced see, you see the whole him time. in London uh, and in fact that's the place yes you do see him in London um, and that's the place where he first sees Maria Schneider it's actually it's it's quite famous it's where I, I think it's the Renoir cinemas are now it's that kind of new Housing estate with the, yes, so he goes yeah. home, doesn't he? I forget. That's right. He goes home and picks up a couple of things. Yes, that's right. I forgot that. Um, and then he goes back off to Europe. But let's talk about. But the, the point Im- is, he's kind of he's 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 a displaced person basically throughout. Yes, you know? he is. I mean, the only time he goes home is to leave. Yes, you know. Um, um, let's talk about the amazing shot at the end. Yeah, so I noticed this. Did you did you notice while it was happening that it was a long day? I did. Um, it's uh, it's something you become conscious of. He lies down in bed in this hotel. And the shot is composed of him. He's lying down horizontally, so his head's at the bottom left of the frame, his feet are sort of in the middle. And you're looking, so his bed's on the bottom left, and you're looking through the bars of his window. And through them, uh, there's, there's basically like a plaza. You said it's a bullfighting arena, you recognise. There's, there's a bullfighting arena in the background. Yeah, so I didn't recognise that it was a bullfighting arena. Yes, um, it's curved and, and the right. architecture and so on. So that's what you're seeing uh, across this plaza. And just sitting on the wall at, beside that bullfighting arena is uh, an old fella, mm. um, just on a chair. And there's there's just a little bit of activity. Not very much. It's basically very sparse. It's Spain. It's middle of summer. It's incredibly it's hot, hot, arid. There's a child playing. There's a kid playing. The kid kind of kicks the ball, and the guy tells him to fuck off. Yes. <laughs> um, and the shot very, very gradually tracks in to the window. Yes. And it's constantly keeping things 
geometrically aligned between the bars, just mm. you know, just about like obviously people move between them, but they always seem to line up very nicely between the bars. It reminded me. Sorry to interrupt no, a little no. bit, but it reminded me a little bit of Michael Snow's wavelength, right? I don't, I've not seen that. Well, it's the camera moving in on a painting, I think. Yeah, and it does so very slowly, right? And you know, as it's doing so, you're conscious of time, you're conscious about what you're seeing, mm. you're conscious about the changes of what you're seeing, and that shot reminded me a little bit about a mini version of that. Yeah, and there's a kind of shot where. Um, Again, I think if you're not in the right mood for the film, you probably go, oh, this is interminable, <laughs> because nothing's really happening. It is about the length of time things are taking, yes. and it is about uh, kind of kind of uh, wondering what will happen, or wondering what you're supposed to be seeing. Maybe like the shot at the end of Cache as well, mm. you know? Like, there's no real direction to anything. You're just seeing life, and yes. the, whole thing, the whole thing about that shot in Cache is, if you know what you're meant to be looking for, you see it. Mm. You know, I don't think that's quite what's going on here. It's not like... It's not hiding anything, yes. but um, it has that same feeling of just kind of being lost in, in spending a lot of time in this place, and um, and as the camera gets closer and closer and closer to the bars, you start to wonder where the shot's going to end, yes. and it gets right up close to them and then moves through them. Yes, obviously the the you know, wherever they however they've done it, they've kind of removed the bars and yes. they had someone on the other side ready to receive the camera yes. to take it out. And then so you think, oh god, they've moved out. And then the camera actually rotates, so you realise the cam you've moved from inside the room to outside the room. You turn around and eventually you actually look back out the room. Yes, and you see Nicholson's body. He, uh, you hear a gunshot at one point, yes. and that's his assassination has yes. taken place. And you also see through the window the black man arriving in a car. Yes. I think. Yeah, you see, you see a car arrive and pull up, and, the, and that that's the same person who he's taken money from for an arms deal. That was the the church he, earlier. Yeah, that he yeah. doesn't quite know. Yeah, exactly. So he's taking on this identity. You know, he's going through the motions of what being that person is, but he he's not aware of the all of the implications of it. Exactly, and this is and ultimately this film ends with his death, and then and everything is orchestrated into this one shot. So you have the guy arrive, you hear off screen. Um, his murder. Um, you see the girl Maria Schneider uh, outside, out about kind of wandering around, um, and you see a police van arrive. Um, Locke's wife and I think his producer turn up because she has now worked out by this point that he's alive and has mm. taken someone's identity. She, she's figured that out, so she's tracked him down too. And as the camera eventually turns around and looks back into the room from outside, um, you see them. Uh, you see them enter, so there's a hotel manager, Locke's wife, the girl, and um, she says, I don't know who this guy is, never mm. seen him before. She identi- The girl identifies the guy, uh, she identifies Locke as Robertson, his assumed identity, and the film ends. And um, so like they, they, it's like they conspire to kind of help him disappear mm. after his death. Mm. Weirdly, and the, and there is a sense of kind of foreboding. Foreboding is probably too far because it's not like it's ominous. The shot, at least not at the start, but there is a sense of finality to it. There's a it, the film has the film has started off very slowly. It's moved in the middle to kind of more action where um, it's not it, it's not an action movie, but it does move into a space where things are actually happening and he's having to kind of evade people or, mm. or move around um, the country. But at the end, you know, I mean, when someone just lies down on a bed and the shot takes a while to look at nothing, you get a sense of finality, right? Mm. Um, 
So I don't know if you thought when, you know, I don't know when maybe you picked up on the thought that, oh, he's going to die now. Did you think of that at all? I didn't think of it until I saw him on the bed. Yeah. Um, Which is the start of that shot. Yeah. Yeah, so. I, that, I agree. You, 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 somehow the film has just conveyed this feeling of it ends now. Yeah. And it's interesting, like, it's kind of, like, is it is it what he wants? Is it what he's aiming for? Like, he he wants to escape the life that he had. That doesn't necessarily mean he wanted to die. Yes. But on the other hand, I don't, you don't feel, maybe there isn't enough of his character that you feel a sense of sadness to it. Or maybe it felt like it was in the stars that this was going to happen at some point. There's like an acceptance to it. Well, I mean, I think, you know, his job was one of being a reporter, right? Which was always kind of observing and commenting and being objective. And then he fully embodies somebody else. But I suppose fully embodies is the wrong term. He embodies Mm. because he can't fully embody because he actually doesn't know. He's not in the timeline. Yeah. So he doesn't know what arrangements have been made. He only knows that arrangements have been made. Right? Like, you know, he doesn't know the implications of them. Yeah, he, he's going to meet up with these th- with people that are in his notebook. Yeah. He just knows I've got to go here at a certain time. So he's not fully himself, and he's not fully the person he yeah. whose well, identity he He lives on. as a ghost, doesn't yes. he? He's died. Yeah. He, he fakes his death, and he is now a dead person. Yes. You know? And, like, he dies twice. Yes. You know, yes. mind you, so does the other guy in a way, because he yes. dies as Robertson at the end as well. Yes. Um, but there is a sense throughout the entire film. There's a there's a slightly spectral feeling. Yes. You know, which which is then embodied by that final shot. Yes. Where there's there's such a lack of activity. Yes. Which is um, an interesting, I think, also philosophical commentary, really. I mean, you know, again, what is being, kind of, what is life, what is identity, you know, kind of, yeah. I think the film does... Um, well, it's like the grass is always in- greener. <laughs> well, like, well, it, it, well that's, that's kind of glib. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of glib, but what I mean is, like, you kind of, you, you want to, he wants to run from from the life that he has and the person who he is. I don't even say run is too much excitement. Okay, but he wants to escape the yeah, life he has and the person who he is. But then, in ta- but then actually in doing so, he discovers that that he ends up with nothing. It's not like he can become someone else. He just loses who he was. Well, but the thing is that taking on that other identity also gives him opportunity to be who he wants to be. You know, kind of, there's all these intimations that, you know, the, 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 the person whose identity takes on Robertson is engaged in an important cause. Right, that you know, he's not just like a gun runner for money. Mm. He's kind of supporting a revolution. That's something he believes in. Or at least that's what we're told. There's yeah. a, there's a, uh, elements of doubt about all that. He could just be in it for the money, mm. you know. But it is kind of the identity is giving um, the character an opportunity of fully being alive. But actually, he doesn't know what he's being alive to. Mm. He's always kind of like discovering. And some of the discoveries are very disconcerting, right? Um, You know, the moment where he receives the money, he's shocked that it's that amount of money, right? Mm. And he takes it, you know. And he doesn't fully think through the implications of what receiving that amount of money, what he's got to do in return, Mm. right? You know, so I think kind of, 
the film is very I find it very fascinating to think about kind of almost on a philosophical level about you know kind of questions of, of being uh, so um, it's certainly up for interpretation because um, you know I, I, I clearly kind of I think we see it differently uh-huh. I, I think both and I think fairly you know like I, I so how do you well how I do say you so differ the, from what I'm so, so, the, I'm so what I saw what I saw about so as I said kind of what I saw was was an inability to grasp an identity once he's once he's kind of killed himself. Yes. Well, I, th- I, I, I could and agree with that. As opposed to kind of... So what you, what you say about kind of the the opportunity that being someone else affords, um, kind of the film puts him in a place where he... Well, he, he, how to put it? Like, he just ends up somewhere very dangerous. And he doesn't. He can't become someone else. You know, he doesn't know who he's becoming. I think it's important that the girl that he meets doesn't have a name. Yeah. You know, she. The, maybe that's kind of why they match so well. Is she, like she doesn't have an identity either. Yeah. You know, she. That's why free, she's so free to just up and move with him. Yes. Yes. You know? no, no, I think that's that's interesting. That's great. Um, mm. But I do think that the new identity, in some ways, offers him the opportunity of being more fully alive than he's felt before yeah no that's true as well isn't it um, you can i think you could also imagine how like he's his life moves into you could imagine how it would almost be done as like a like a like a born thing like all of a sudden he's thrust into a world where he's a gun runner you know and he, and like you can imagine a version of this film a very exciting one where it suddenly becomes a thriller yes. you know like well like, like um like uh, you know hitchcock um, yes uh, we're at the North by Northwest. Yes, you know, uh, mistaken identity, and now he's a man out of place, and he has to, he's thrust into a very exciting and it's world. It's exciting and sexy, and right. you know, dangerous. But the the hero overcomes. This is like all the, the ingredients of that. are there. Yeah, <laughs> the ingredients are there, but but the the recipe is not like it's very very different. It makes something very different of it. Yes, which I think is interesting. Yes, and I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, it's a film to see again. I find I it deeply engrossing. Yes. Um, Yes, I found it uh, less engrossing, but very enriching. You know, I mean, I think there's a multitude of, of viewing experiences, right? There are films that you, 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 you enjoy them from the beginning, and then they die on you as soon as you leave the cinema. Mm. You know, and, the kind of, and there are films that you're kind of slightly dulled by or whatever, uh, or you know, you're looking at them in kind of different ways or whatever. And then they kind of nudge you, and yeah, like, and I think this is a film that's nudged me, right? That kind of, you know, you're trying to fall asleep, and you think of a scene in the film, or you think of a shot, or, you know, you think of a reaction. And it kind of it really stays with you, and it actually makes you really want to talk about it, right? Like that there's there are things in the film that feel, at the moment, beyond my grasp, right? And that you want to revisit, you know. And I think kind of that's one of those films for me. You let it breathe, and it lives with you. And I think you know this is one of those times when, having you know, had we done the podcast the evening that we saw the film, it would have been less productive than having left it a few days and given it time to percolate. Yes. But as you say, the film has has aged like a fine wine <laughs> over the last four days. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well that's a wonderful note to end on. Uh, so thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies, and we are at. Uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube to listen to. On social media, we're at Eavesdrop Movies on Twitter, and we're Eavesdropping at the Movies on Facebook. And the website with all the podcasts is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. 
Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye.